We're in a passage of scripture where Peter questions Jesus about the fact that they've left everything to follow him. Uh, That's in contrast to the previous passage that we looked at last week where the rich young ruler was unwilling to leave anything to follow Jesus. Jesus promised him present joy and eternal happiness if he would would give away all that he had and come and follow him. Now, Jesus doesn't make that request of everyone that they give up all of their possessions, they give up all of their income and follow him, but he does do that and, and he did it in relationship to the rich young ruler. Because I think he knew what the single issue was in this person's life, in that man's life. It was his wealth. Sometimes it's friendships or relationships or or any number of things. And when the gospel comes to us, Jesus puts his finger on that one particular issue. And he asks us to give up all and follow him. For me, I was 19 years of age and I I didn't have any any wealth. I was from a lower middle class family. The only thing I had was I didn't have a single friend that knew Jesus. Not a single friend that I knew knew Jesus. I'd never had anyone share Jesus with me before. I didn't know the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, but when, when Pastor Robbie, a youth pastor in a church, was sharing the gospel with me, the one thing that came to my mind was, you don't have any friends that's ever done this, and you may not have any friends if you do this. And I was right. In uh, uh, one sense, I had two friends. I had Jesus and Robbie. That was it. Uh, That was the only two friends I had very shortly after I was saved and I began to share with my friends what Jesus had done for me. I was, if we had had Facebook at the time, they would have unfriended me. They unfriended me Uh, anyway. uh, But Jesus is just spoken to his disciples, in front of his disciples, to the rich young ruler. And now we pick up in verse 28 and I want to make three points this morning out of the passages that were read to us. First, Jesus' followers are promised present joy and eternal happiness. Look in verse 28. Peter says, we've left everything to follow you. Underline the word follow. To follow Jesus means to be a disciple of Jesus. Early on in the gospel of Luke, Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee and he said to Peter and Andrew, two brothers, follow me. And they left their profession and followed Jesus. Then he walked a little bit further and he said to two more fishermen, James and John, follow me. And they left their father and they followed Jesus. And so to follow Jesus means to be his disciple. It doesn't mean to be casually acquainted with Jesus. It means to be his disciple. He says, we've left all to follow you. He's speaking a little bit hyperbolically. Uh, But we understand the point that he's making. So notice Jesus' reply. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Well, that's that's a mouthful coming from Jesus. 
and it gives great hope and encouragement to those who have, who have given their lives to follow Jesus. But it's important to know what Jesus is not saying. It's as important to know what he's not saying as it is to know what he is saying. What he's not saying is God's going to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. We want to be healthy. We'd like to have some wealth. And we'd like to be wise. Uh, But what the world often says, and this comes through the church, if you follow Jesus, you will be healthy. You will be wealthy. You will be wise. Now, our wisdom comes from God, but God can allow our health to be taken away. God doesn't promise us riches and splendor, though there's nothing wrong with those when God gives them. It would have been nice if Paul could have had a health, wealth, gospel preacher say that to him. That God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise. So when Jesus says here that to those who follow him, those who have left home, wife, brothers, sisters, parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, will fail to receive many times as much in this age, listen to what Paul wrote about his Christian life in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Paul writes, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent adrift in the sea. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Uh, We need to understand what Jesus is not promising us. He's not promising us an easy life from the way we often think about an easy life. God doesn't promise us a painless life or a carefree life. When Jesus matters most, no matter what life throws at us, we still love Jesus. And so no matter what the health, wealth gospel says, good godly people lose vision. Good godly people get cancer. Good godly people live on the brink of of starvation. Good godly people can live in homelessness. But his promises are magnificent and wonderful and true. What do Jesus, what does Jesus promise us now? What is the gifts of God that come with loving Jesus most? 
Let me just read a short portion of some of them to you. If you're a son or daughter of God, then you are a child of God. You are a new creation. You have been bought with a price. You are more than conquerors through Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. God causes all things to work together for your good. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are free from condemnation. God, who began a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. If you ask for anything in his name, he will do it. God loves you just as much as he loves Christ Jesus. You have been transferred out of Satan's kingdom and into Christ's kingdom. You are forgiven of all your sins. That's just a small, tiny sampling of what the Bible says that you have received in Christ Jesus. And those are blessings that can never be taken away. Your sight can be taken away. Your health can be taken away. Your resources can be taken away. But the love of God in Christ Jesus can never be taken away from you. So he, he says, in this age, all of these blessings and a multitude more belong to you because you're in Christ Jesus. But what about the future? Uh, what about in the age to come? Notice the contrast in verse 29. When he says, for the sake of the kingdom of God, we'll fail to receive in verse 30 many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Well, we could turn over to Revelation chapter 21 and, and 22. Uh, there are, are many passages that we could look at that talk about what eternity is like. It has to, it, it's in word pictures. It's so wonderful and spectacular and so uh, unbelievably unimaginable that he's got to use language to try to bring to our minds how magnificent and glorious and spectacular and wonderful the age to come is. This is the way that Paul put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Things which eye has not seen an ear has not heard, and which have not entered the human heart, all that God has prepared for those who love him. What God has in store for you and me is more magnificent than words could ever appropriately articulate. John in Revelation 21 and 22, he, he's grasping at straws to try and describe the indescribable. It's like streets of gold. There's no sun and, or nor moon. We don't need any heavenly luminaries because we have the presence of God and the light of Christ that will illuminate. 
There'll be no sickness or heartache or pain or death or tears or sorrow or any such thing because we will be in the new Eden. We'll be in the new Jerusalem. Our minds can't comprehend what that age will be like for those who love Jesus most, for those who are followers of Jesus. There may be a lot of things in this life we don't get to experience. There may be a lot of things in this life that we have to experience. But when we enter into the age to come, it will all pale into insignificance because of what we have in Christ in that time. Well, that brings us to a second thought. Our salvation, the salvation of, that we just talked about, is secured through Jesus' death and resurrection. Peter's saying, what about us? We've left everything to follow you, and now Jesus is going to tell them about himself. What's in his immediate future? And he takes the 12 aside. This is information reserved for his closest followers. This is the third time that he's told them that he's going to suffer, die, and be raised from the dead. But it's hidden from their sight. They're not, they're not able to comprehend it. We're able to comprehend it because we're looking back on it. We're able to comprehend it because we've been saved by it. But God providentially kept them from being able to put all of the pieces of the puzzle together. Notice he says, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that have been written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. What Jesus has been talking about is nothing that they should not have understood, except God has prevented them from understanding it. I, I, I thought a lot this week about the, about the passage right here, the verse, the idea, the thought, all things that have been written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. So I sat down the other day and I started just thinking, okay, what are some of the things the Old Testament says about the Son of Man, about Jesus, about his, about his life, about his suffering, about his death and his resurrection? that they should have been able to ascertain from what has been written. Uh, I made just a small list. Let me read it to you. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And he was. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse, uh, verse 14, Isaiah wrote the Messiah would be conceived by a virgin. And he was. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, the prophet said the Messiah would enter Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And he did. In Isaiah chapter 53, in the first verse, in the third verse, Isaiah said the Messiah would be despised and rejected. He most certainly was. In Psalm chapter 41, in verse 9, the psalmist wrote the Messiah would be betrayed by a close friend. Judas was one of the 12. In Isaiah chapter 53, again, the prophet said that the Messiah would be silent before his accusers. And when we study Jesus standing trial before Herod Antipas, 
Herod Antipas is stunned that Jesus won't answer any of the charges that are being made against him. In Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6, Isaiah said the Messiah would be struck and spat on by his enemies. In Psalm chapter 22, verse 7 and 8, the psalmist says that the Messiah would be mocked and insulted. Further along in Psalm 22, it says the Messiah would die by crucifixion. In Isaiah chapter 53, again, it said the Messiah would die alongside criminals and he would pray for his enemies. Back in Psalm 22, it says the enemies of the Messiah would gamble for his clothing. In Exodus chapter 12, the Messiah would not have a single bone that would be broken. In Psalm chapter 16, the Messiah would be raised from the dead. In Psalm chapter 110 verse 1, the Messiah would sit at God's right hand. All of these prophecies and more and more and more and more, on and on we could go. Not just individual verses, but large passages of Scripture woven from Genesis chapter 3 on tell us that all of the Scriptures about the Messiah came to fruition in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice the prophecies that Jesus makes right here when he says, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he was, and he will be, he will be ridiculed and abused and spit upon, and he was. And after they have flogged him, they will kill him, and they did. And on the third day, he will rise again. That's amazing. Why don't we believe the Bible more? Why don't we read it more consistently? Claim its promises more regularly. We live in a day and time where Preachers are giving chats about the Bible. A verse here and a verse there and a story and you throw in a, uh, an, an illustration here. And we wonder, why don't people read the Bible? Because preachers don't preach the Bible. In fact, in the books that we read often, we're told if you do preach the Bible, you won't gather a, a crowd. Well, I don't know about you. I, I think I do know you, but I, I think that none of us are interested in a crowd. We want a congregation. We want a congregation of men and women who believe the Word of God, who embrace the Word of God, who trust the Word of God, who want to have the Word of God preached and taught and have the Word of God inculcated into the very depths of our being. That's what we want for our children. That's what we want for our teenagers. That's what we want to base our marriages and our lives on, the Word of God. And when we look at all that was fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ as it was portrayed in the scriptures, how can we not believe the Bible? Well, you do believe the Bible and I believe the Bible. That's why we study the Bible in Bible fellowship groups. That's why we take the truths of the Bible in discipleship groups and we talk about those truths being applied to our daily lives. You're not interested in a chat about the Bible. You're interested in the Bible, 
reading the Bible, studying the Bible, hearing the Bible. And when we read how the scripture was fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus, well, that just impels us all the more to want to be men and women of the word. Because the spirit and the word work together to build healthy lives and healthy homes. Take out the spirit and the word and you can have you can have a Christian home if we mean by that a Christian husband and a Christian wife but it won't be a blessed home because you need the spirit of God and you need the word of God and so we see that Now, something that's quite interesting is that that they're saying, what about us? And now Jesus is saying, this is what's in store for me. This is my immediate future. They're thinking about their sacrifice and they're not thinking about his sacrifice. But the reality is the sacrifice that we make isn't much of a sacrifice at all, is it? Listen to what the, the great 19th century, century physician missionary David Livingston said. I never made a sacrifice. We ought not to talk of sacrifice. Would we remember the great sacrifice which he made, who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Look at it again as I read it. I never made a sacrifice. We ought not to talk of sacrifice when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. The disciples at this point are unable to wrap their arms around what Jesus is saying. I want us to stop here and I I want to give you a a few thoughts about these two passages. A few things I think that are important for us to to consider. The first point that we that we looked at was the sacrifice the disciples were worried about making. The, The blessings that they that they wanted. If you're a believer today, the blessings that I read to you, I think you would agree with me, are greater than anything this world could ever ever provide. There's nothing in this life that can match to the fact that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. We doubt God's love because we equate God's love with an easy life, a fulfilling life, a happy life. True happiness is found in Jesus. God loves you, you individually, you personally. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Jesus is his beloved son, but we are sons and daughters of God. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. 
We've been adopted into God's family. We are indwelt by God's spirit, which means that we are the temples of the living God. Nothing happens to us that God can't use for our good. He causes all things to work together for the good. That doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is good. Bad things happen to us. But God can use it for our good. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is present joy and eternal happiness. There, there's coming a day when everything that's caused you heartache and pain will, will dissipate into insignificance. It will be inconsequential. In fact, it will be removed from your memory. You won't live throughout eternity with regrets and disappointment and heartache and pain. You will live not only in the eternal presence of God, but you will live with all of the people of God. So many of the people that you know right now will be with you in heaven. As I've told you before, and you know very, very good and well, sometimes I think, oh my goodness, how could I be in heaven and not be married to Jay Lynn? That just doesn't make any sense to me. But my love for her, as, as deep as it is, is an imperfect love because I'm an imperfect person. One day my love for her will be perfect, but the love that I have for her, that perfect love will be the love that I have for everybody. Every single person. We will love with a perfect love. We'll know one another. In fact, as I've told you before, I've got, uh, I've got uh, two condos reserved in the New Jerusalem. She's gonna be my next door neighbor. And so we may not be husband and wife, but we can still live in the same, uh, in the same complex, looking out over the, over the Atlantic Ocean, if there is an Atlantic Ocean in the new heaven and the new earth. The second thing I would say is this, if you don't know Jesus, you won't be there. If you don't know Jesus, you won't be there. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? Because the Bible says it. Because we believe what the Bible says. Those who have been born again by the Spirit of God are those who will spend eternity in the city of the Son of God. But not those who have not. There was a rich young ruler He had everything the world had to offer, but the one thing that mattered, and that is a relationship with God through Christ. He was a genuine seeker, a searcher for truth. But when God put his finger on the one place, for him it was wealth, for me it was friends. I don't know what it may be for you if you don't know Jesus today. But let me just say to you with all sincerity, Jesus is better. Jesus 
is better than anything that I would give in exchange for him. He's better. Peter didn't grasp it then, but he grasped it a little bit later on. Jesus tells Peter shortly before Jesus ascended to heaven that Peter was going to be crucified. He was going to die by crucifixion. We don't know the veracity of the tradition, but the, but the church tradition was that he was crucified in Rome by Nero and he requested to be crucified upside down. Why would you do that? Because Jesus matters most. And Peter, he didn't grasp it all right here because some of it was hidden from him. But one day, the day that he did, he said, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so Peter understood that. And I'm confident that most of us, but I fear not all of us, understand it as well. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and our worship pastor is going to come and we're going to sing together. It may be today that you'd like to have someone pray with you, pray for you, talk to someone about what we've been talking about this morning. We have connection tables set up in both lobbies. These folks would love to pray for you, talk to you, answer any questions you may have. We won't manipulate you, coerce you, or pressure you to do anything you're not ready to do. But we can share with you why Jesus matters most. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the privilege of your word. We thank you for the privilege of studying your word. We thank you for the privilege of having it in written form. We thank you for your spirit that illuminates it for us, helps us to understand it better. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that the Jesus the Bible declares is the Jesus that we will love. And that with the great missionary physician, we would say there's no sacrifice in this life because the one sacrifice that matters most was made for us. In Jesus' name, amen.